0: If you have your Bible, look at John 10. John 10, beginning in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Today I want to talk with you about once saved, always saved. This is a difficult and controversial teaching. Uh, Whenever you get a whole bunch of preachers together, they're always arguing about this. Uh, They like to make their points and they talk about it. Uh, I've had I don't know how many, you know, big talks with folks about it over the years. I I want to, as best I can, present a biblical uh, view on this important doctrine. It's important for each and every one of us that are here today. This uh, section of scripture is really talking about once saved, always saved. The very mention of the doctrine just causes some people to uh, think, oh, where is this going? Where is this going? Once saved, always saves is the belief that once a person becomes a Christian, their salvation is eternally fixed. He can never be lost again. The key to understanding uh, these words, the teaching that I've mentioned, is in the two words, once saved. We do not believe that just because somebody joins a church that they are saved. Don't believe that. Uh, We do not believe that once a person is baptized, that they necessarily are always saved. We do not believe that even... When a person says that they are a Christian, that he perhaps is not always saved. What we believe is, is that once a person is really saved, then they are always saved. We all know that there are a lot of faith proclamations that uh, are really false. You know, Judas was one of the twelve. You remember him. And what he did, almost everyone has had at least one kind of very special moment, time in their life uh, when they drew closer to God. You know, the uh, soldiers that are on the battlefield, the bombs are going off, the bullets are going by. They say, God, if you'll get me out of this mess, I'll never miss Sunday school again in my life. God, if you'll get me out of this mess... I'll tithe. God, if you'll get me out of this, you know, uh, whatever. We've heard people say that. When people get sick, they say, Lord, if you'll make me well, I'll do this and this and this. I'll never cuss again. I'll never beat my dog again. I'll never do any of those uh, things. Well, we all have these moments in our lives that are very religious you know, it might be a special service in a church somewhere along your life. Or maybe it was in a revival meeting or a revival service. Maybe it was in a vacation Bible school. Maybe it was at church camp. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different times in our life when we're drawn closer to the Lord. And at that time, some make a very emotional response to the gospel. Uh, when I was a little boy... Uh, I went to a non-Baptist church and I had a bunch of friends in the class of course and one day we were in Sunday school The one of the staff members came in and said uh, today's the day that you all join the church and uh, I didn't know exactly what that meant so he took us down to a different room and we, we filled out a piece of paper and uh Then he walked us all right into church in front of all the people, and he said, these are the newest members of our church, and uh, everybody clapped, and everybody was real happy. Uh, I thought uh, that was kind of weird how they did that, and even as a little boy, I thought, well, this is superficial. This is not not what I thought it was going to be. Well... False professions of faith have always been around. You know, I had a fellow one time come and join a church where I was pastoring, and uh, he sold insurance. And uh, our church had a lot of members, and he said, you know, do you all have a real active life insurance guy in your church? And I said, not that I can think of right off the top. And he said, you know, I love your church. I think (laughs) think I'm going to come to your church. And he did. He joined. Well, as difficult as this doctrine might be for some people, the alternative is totally unacceptable. If you believe a person can be saved today and lost tomorrow, you're saying, in effect, That you believe that they are saved today because they're worthy today. They've done some right things today uh, because of the life that they have lived today. And if you believe the person can lose their salvation, you are saying, well, they lost their salvation because of something they did. Uh, They ceased to be worthy, so they lost it. Well, that is, that perspective is salvation by works, and I don't believe that that is biblical, and I hope that you don't. Uh, now, if you believe in writing in your Bible, out beside this particular passage, I want you to write Titus 3.5, Titus 3.5, right out there by this passage in John uh, that we're looking at today. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. According to his mercy. Now I want you to look with me at uh, our text for today. John 10, beginning in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man any man, pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than them all, and no man is able to pluck them out of the Father's hand. I want us to really think about that passage, the Titus passage, and I'm going to mention some other passages again that I hope will kind of nail this down in your mind. Without believing your salvation is secure, we end up in kind of a hopeless confusion about our spiritual lives. If once a person is saved and can be lost again, how many sins do they have to commit in order to be lost? One, Or two, or five, or ten, how many? Uh, And which sins? You know, which sins will take you out of being saved? Some people look at it that way. Murder, that would probably do it. Uh, Adultery, uh, abusive uh, profanity, maybe that would do it. Or will just gossip and anger do it? Will just those two do it? If a person can be saved today and lost tomorrow, what must they do to be saved again? Now think about that. Do they need to receive Jesus as their Savior again? Do they have to walk down the aisle again? Do they have to be baptized again? I uh, was preaching in a church years and years ago and I preached a pretty evangelistic message. And this lady came down and she said, uh, I want to be saved and I want to be baptized. I said, well, that's great. I said, would you have a seat right over here? And I went over and I handed her a little thing to fill out. And I said, uh, have you been going to church before? She said, oh, yeah, I've gone to church all my life. She said, I've been baptized 15 times. I said, well, would you mind waiting after the service a little while? I need to, I need to talk to you a little bit. And I did. Well, uh, without the assurance of salvation, a believer can never have peace and joy and usefulness in the kingdom of God because they are never, never sure of their relationship to our Savior. We must remember that Christians do backslide. They all do. We do. I do. You do. Uh, We all have times in our life when we back up uh, where we are spiritually. As the bumper sticker reads, Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven. And that's very important. And it's true. There has to be room for growth and development in the Christian life. There must also be the possibility of regression. You know, sometimes we get real, real close to God, and then we we kind of back off. You know, most of us do that. Somewhere along in our life, something will happen. It'll bother us. But that does not mean that we're not saved. That means we're going through a very difficult time, and, and the Lord takes hold of our heart and helps us and some other people come and help us and some friends from the church come and help us and some Christian neighbors come in and they help us. How far can somebody wander away from God and still rightly be called a Christian? I don't know. I don't know. How long can they stay away from God? And still be considered a child of God. I don't know. How deep into sin can they fall. And still be thought of as a believer. I don't know. And fortunately. It's not our job to know. That's not our job. That's not in our job description. We shouldn't even try. To judge them. We do not have to judge other people. We can't read their minds. We don't know their heart. That's that's not our job. That's God's job. And that's God's business. And we need to leave all of that up to God. Only God knows the heart of man. Only one. Our responsibility is to make sure that we have been saved. And that we continue to live in obedience to our Lord and Savior. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. Jesus spoke clearly about our security when he said, My sheep hear my voice. Now, when I preach the word of God, I believe you're hearing a word from the Lord. Because this is his book. And his spirit is here, and his spirit is trying to direct each and every one of us. So we're receiving the word of God by the spirit of God in the house of God, and that ought to be very, very important to us. Well, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And that's, of course, the point that I want to really emphasize today, that we follow him. Jesus promises that no matter what happens, his children will never lose their relationship to him, ever. That relationship will always be there. Now, we need to distinguish between our relationship with God and our fellowship with God. Sometimes we get out of fellowship with God. Sometimes we are further away than we are at other times. Uh, Our relationship is fixed. Our fellowship changes. It depends upon our actions. Our security is based on three things. The guidance of God, the grace of God, And the greatness of God. Those three things. Those are very important things. First our security is based on the guidance of God. Verse 27 in our text today. Jesus said my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. They follow right after me. That's the way it worked with the sheep. The shepherd would call his sheep. And the sheep would follow. Now, sometimes there would be two or three herds of sheep that would all get together. And the shepherd for some of those sheep would call to his sheep. And the ones that were his would slip out of the group and come and follow their shepherd. And that's the way it is with the Lord Jesus and us. The tense of the verb follow here suggests continuous action. So Jesus is saying, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they keep on following me. They keep on doing it. This is how we know who Jesus' true sheep really are. They are people who hear his voice. They begin following him, and then they continue to follow him. We know whose sheep we know them not by what they say but by what they do that's the way we know them not everyone that saith unto me lord lord jesus said shall enter into the kingdom of heaven but he that doeth the will of my father who is in heaven that's verse 21 In in Matthew 7, 21, his sheep hear and they are heeding his voice. This is the distinguishing mark between the real and the superficial follower of Christ. Secondly, our security is based on the grace of God. In John 10, 28, Jesus said, and I give them eternal life. I give it to them. Now, eternal life is a gift. It's not a loan. When someone lends you something, guess what? They want it back. They want you to give it back, take it back. Unlike a gift, it is not yours. Our life here is a gift that God gave us a wonderful, wonderful gift of life. It is the testimony of Scripture that we are not saved by being good or by being religious. We are saved by grace through faith. Now, don't forget the faith part. We have to have faith in the Lord Jesus. That's what we do. We have faith in him. We trust in him. We place our lives in his hands. Logic says if we can't earn our salvation by being good, then we can't lose it by being bad. Our salvation is never dependent upon our goodness or our badness, but upon God's goodness and God's grace. God could have saved us any way he wanted to. There's a lot of different ways. There's a hundred different ways he could have saved us. He could have saved us by riding in the sky. He could have saved us by uh, helping us to win the lottery. He could have saved us by uh, making us the strongest person in the world. He could have saved us, gotten our attention and overwhelmed us and, and just uh, made us so responsible and responsive to him. But you know what? He didn't he didn't use a lot of those ways. He could have chosen any way he wanted to. The choice was his, that's obvious. He's sovereign. He's God. So why did he choose to save us by grace? What's the reason for that? There is a very good reason lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2 9. God knew that if we were going to earn our salvation by our works, that we would become real proud about our works. We would begin to, you know, go around and tell everybody, you know, I haven't missed Sunday school in 27 years. And uh, I've tithed since I was eight. And I've done this, you know, 150 different times. And I've led X number of people to Jesus. We would, we would just fill ourselves with pride, and then we would boast. We would be boasting all the time about what we've done. Well, that's not what the Lord wants. So he uh, allowed us to be saved by his grace. There are three kinds of faith. There is the intellectual faith. Some people believe that Christ Uh, is on the same plane with George Washington. Uh, They believe in George Washington. They believe in Christ. If I were to ask you, do you believe in George Washington? Everybody in here would say, well, you know, I I know he was our first president. I know he lived and, and he died and he's buried up northeast. And he was a good man. And, you know, we could say a number of things about him. If I believe, do you believe in George Washington? All of you would probably say, well, yeah. You've read about him in textbooks. People that you uh, believe in have told you about George Washington. So you, you would believe in George Washington. While you believe in George Washington, that he lived and that he died, you are not trusting in him for anything. You don't expect George Washington to do anything for you. You don't pray to George Washington. You don't ask for anything from him. Now, some people believe in Christ the same way that they believe in George Washington. It's an intellectual faith. Secondly, the second kind of faith is temporal faith. This is the kind of faith that turns to God for help in time of need. You know, if you're dying, you're in the hospital, you're really, really sick, you say, Lord, please, please get me through this, and I'll do this and this and this. You know, we. You know, if I could get the one I wanted to marry me, I'd do anything. If I, you know, I mean, you can just think of a thousand different things. And then when the crisis passes... So does the commitment. It's hollow, it's emotional, and it's temporary. It's called temporal faith. The third kind of faith is saving faith. This is the kind of faith where you trust in Jesus with your life and your destiny. You ask him to be the Lord of your life, the boss of your life. You ask him to take over your life. Romans ten thirteen says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And of course, that means that you call upon his name with all that's within you, with all the faith that you have, with all the inclinations that you have that you would follow through. This is an eternal salvation for every one of us would be so blessed to have and to know about that experience in our life. Third, our security is based on the greatness of God. Jesus said, My Father who gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of the Father's hand. That's verse 29 in our text. The Bible wastes no time in introducing us to the greatness of God. In the first verse, in the first chapter of the first verse of the Bible, the very first, the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, Genesis one one. I mean, he clears it up right at the first. There's no doubt, there's no question about any of the rest of it, if you believe the first of it. The very first verse. The word God in Hebrew is the name Elohim. Elohim is the Hebrew word. It uh, has a root meaning to that word. And the root meaning is power. This word uh, comes from power. It is a common name for God that is used over 2,500 times. In the Old Testament, it literally means the one from whom all power flows, Elohim. This powerful God is the one who holds us in the hollow of his hand, and no one can take us away from him. I want you to think back with me till. To the time when you had your child or your grandchild or your great-grandchild out on a walk with you, and you got to a very steep place in the walk, and it was just very steep, and, and you had the hand of your son or grandson or great-grandson, and, and all of a sudden, he slips. You know, children slip a lot when there's a real uh, straight-down uh, piece of ground that you're covering. It's hard for them to walk. Well, however, you're holding the child's hand. So that child is never going to be any safer than they were with you holding their hand. The only way that they can fall is if you fall. That's the only way that they can fall. In the same way, we are held by God's powerful hand. We're held in his hand. The only way that we can fall is if he falls. And he is the center of power in the whole universe. He isn't going to fall. I mean, don't don't even let that thing cross your mind. He isn't going to fall. He's going to be there. No man is able to pluck you out of his hand. Here then is the basis of our salvation And our security. Not our goodness, but God's guidance, God's grace, and God's greatness. That puts us on solid ground. This morning, if you're here in the house and you've not trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, He's not holding you in the hollow of His hand. Today, why don't you make that decision? A believing faith. Why don't you take that stand for him today that this not just some passing thought, but that is a real commitment to him for the rest of eternity and your relationship to the Lord forever and ever and ever. Today, if you'd like to do that, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation in just a moment. If you'll slip to the aisle and slip forward, come and take a stand for Christ today. Today, if you've been visiting with us for a good while, you need a church home, we'd love to have you come and join with us and serve with us. We're trying to do a lot of special things for the Lord Jesus. We're trying as best we can to follow his word and his way in our lives individually and corporately. And we'd love to have you come and join with us in that regard. I'll be standing right down here at the front. If the Lord leads you, you just slip out and come. Must stand as we sing.